Welcome to Chatting Wine, the video and podcast series where we talk about all things wine related, keeping it simple, interesting and informative. Check out our Instagram page if you want to see more details. Cheers! Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Chatting Wine. Uh, today we have my brother Will Sambach on. Will, say hi. Hello. Uh, Will has recently entered, uh, I say recently, the last year or so, entered the wine trade. Uh, our family's in the wine trade anyway, so he's always been in touch. But he's um, started a new company called Vind. Well, started. Will, sort of, you, you tell me um, a bit about Vind and what you've been up to via, uh, not via, during lockdown. Um, so yeah, I've uh, got a wine wine tourism platform called Vind, which I've been working on uh, for the last few months. Um, and obviously, it's not a great time for tourism at the moment. So uh, the launch of Vind is slightly on hold, but it's given me time to really work on it and uh, get more wineries on board. Essentially, it's a bit of a, a sort of Airbnb slash TripAdvisor type platform so people can find wineries sort of anywhere in the world. They upload their own page and um, sort of have what they have, the, the amenities, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's accommodation, tastings, photos, you know, all that sort of stuff. So you can really get a good feel for, for the winery and you can sort of go on the map and see what's nearby, you know, and filter. So, um, so that's what I've been working on, which has been exciting, but also... Um, over the last sort of few lockdown months, been working on a rosé project uh, called Ami, which uh, which is launched now. But I'm sure we'll chat about that later. Uh, we will. Uh, Vind is really interesting. I think um, I was in a wedding last year, and I'm in the wine industry, and I couldn't find a winery near this wedding where we could go and do a wine tasting and have have lunch. Where Vind would be perfect for them. Um, you just well, put them where you well, are, that's it. and it's there. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, a lot of people go obviously to Europe every summer for holidays, and you could be some of the great winemaking places in France, Spain, Italy, Portugal. But actually, the access and transparency of finding uh, a winery and one that's sort of welcome to tourists is some, is quite hard sometimes. Obviously, they do it really well in Australia and and uh, New Zealand and um, USA places like that. But it, this is a platform which sort of encapsulates the whole world. So. Yeah, I'm excited mm. for its launch, hopefully, in a couple of months' time. Cool, can't wait. Let's crack on to Rosé. Um, now, we've got a lady called Lucy, who's going to talk a bit more about um, Lucy Shaw from Drinks Business later. But for now, we'll talk about uh, sort of how Rosé is made and sort of the ins and outs of that. So, well, firstly, tell me um, what varieties is Rosé made from? Well, um, you can make Rosé from any red wine grape. Um, it depends where you are in the world, really. Some of the most famous wine making rosé making areas are, are Provence south of France and sort of the Languedoc next door and I guess the great varieties you find here it's probably mainly good like Grenache uh, you get Sanso, Mudevre, uh, Syrah, Carignan even Cabernet Sauvignon but yeah it, it can be virtually any red grape um, and often depending where you are it'll be whatever grapes uh, native to that country sort of indigenous grapes you have Tempranillo in Spain or, or one of the many hundreds of Italian grape varieties. So, so, so yeah, it's, it really is, can be made of anything. Um, but soft, often some of the softer grape varieties seem to work better, such as sort of your Grenache or Sansos of the world. Is that because the softer the variety, is that because 
you don't want too much of that red flavor in, in um, sort of in the wine. You want sort of the lighter style. Is that right? On the whole, the the uh, I think the trend is definitely for lighter, fresher, crisper sort of dry rosés. Um, mm. That's not not necessarily to do the grape, but um, more the winemaking technique as well. Cool. Well, how how is rosé made? Uh, so the most common method of making rosé is uh, the maceration method, uh, and this is when you have red wine grapes like the ones we were discussing just then, and they are let to rest or macerate. Uh, in the juice for a period of time, um, and this is at the winemaker's discretion. Usually, it's no more than 48 hours, um, often only a few hours. Um, and by comparison, if you're making red wine, you would leave these these grapes, these skins in there for much longer, for months. So, uh, so rosé is basically the same style, same method of making red wine, but you just take the skins out so you get rid of that colour. Right, so the longer um, the skins are on, the more colour you get. Exactly, exactly. And so often, you know, especially these days, uh, the really sort of pale style, uh, you wouldn't want to leave the skins in there for too long. You've also got a couple of other ways you can make rosé. There's the Sanier method, which um, is often used in the USA, especially sort of Napa, Sonoma, some of the some of the really fine red wine making areas, because what it is, is more of a byproduct of, of making red wine. And... Um, they the first few hours of making red wine though some of the juice we bled off and that was really to make the red wine more intense um and it was more of a byproduct and obviously quite a nice byproduct so it's similar to to I guess the maceration method in terms of they don't, the the juice hasn't got much skin contact um and so that's what that's one other way and then there's also blending um and i guess people probably frown upon this a little bit these days um you know it doesn't yeah, it doesn't take much red wine to dye white wine, so pink. So you normally use sort of five, ten percent, um, and this is pretty uncommon. Um, although it is used in sparkling wine, so champagne, for example, and those sort of things, it is sort of common practice. Sure. Yeah. And you touched on earlier, sort of people are getting into the drier style, so that that pale style compared to the bright pink stuff. I mean, what's yes. firstly, what's the difference between those two, and why is the pale stuff kicking off a bit more than the the brighter stuff? I guess. Rosé sort of grown in popularity year on year for the last sort of ten years or so, and it's people sort of conjure up images of the south of France, you know, the sun, the nice weather, a refreshing cold drink, I guess, which um, might not be everyone's style, but I think a lot of people now see it that way, um, and also a lot of people judge a book by its colour, and they think you know the paler the better, and and um, quite often the dark. Um, sort of coloured, sort of Ribena coloured rosés sort of conjure up images of, you know, really sort of sweet, tacky blush. Like stuff, White Zinfandel, sort of, isn't it? Or blush, yeah. Exactly. Blush. You know, that, that stuff from the 90s, you know, California made loads of it um, and it got a bad reputation. Um, there's no real actual, I think, definition for blush, but that is sort of what you associated it with. But then I guess yeah. you do get other types of styles of rosé as well, you know. I think in Rioja, for example, they have... They have rosés which can age and be sort of different, you know, obviously much darker because of that, and they're delicious in different ways. Um, but I guess the common style, and, you know, I, I'm a culprit and, and enjoy it as well, is that sort of fresh, light, dry style. Nothing, it's, it's not particularly complex, but it's it's refreshing and, and really delicious. And um, we, we always talk about the pale style, that we talk about Provence. Um, that's where your new wine's from, isn't it? And me. We're no, we're just outside Provence, so in the Languedoc. Right, okay. 
say I think he talked about the longer dock a few times on this uh, on this podcast and have, yeah. big wine making area next door to Provence. You know you can make all sorts of different styles of wine there and rosés. Be you know it's 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 like Provence in many ways. There's a lot of rosé production, same sort of great varieties, great climate, great soils. So uh, so that's what our our wine Ami is from. Yes. How long have you been saying that for? It's the twenty second of June now. So how long has that been going for? Uh, I think it was Wednesday last week. So wow. what, what day is that? <laughs> Not long. Five not, days. Not long. <laughs> l- days. Less than a week. Yeah, five days since we launched. Um, and how have sales been? Sales been good. It's been uh, it's been well received. I think we've it's been a it's been a really fun project. We've teamed up with uh, an artist, uh, Jessica Yolanda K, to doing the label, and um, it's a it's a cool design. We think we like nice little bottle shape and. Um, and it's uh, direct to consumer. We're doing free delivery, and you just go on go online, drinkme.com, and you can order there. And it's um, no, I think it's been really well really well received. We've actually had repeat orders already, which is pretty impressive in five That's days. So I think some people have had some good weekends and uh, yeah. come back for more, which is great great to hear. Um, and you give uh, a pound to Charity Water, is it? What's the charity called? Yeah, yeah, Char- Charity Water, Charity sort of colon water. Right. It's uh, it's a it's actually a fantastic uh, charity. We have, there's a good book called Thirst, um, which uh, describes the the founder's uh, story, um, and it's a hundred percent model. So every pound, every bit of money you, you give to them goes out to the field. They have they have a separate group of people called the Well who fund the office, who fund field trips, who fund that sort of thing. So all the money you give, um, and we are we will give will go out to the field and you get tracking reports of what's going on and where they're creating wells and it's purely for water so they're basically just trying to solve the water issues in the world and once you can give people water that can solve a whole multitude of other things you know waterborne diseases you know education people aren't walking 10 hours a day to go and get water you know women's empowerment so it's a it's a, i think a really fantastic charity so yeah it's fan it's great to do one pound per bottle sold goes to them and i think people really like that as well they you know yeah. i guess when they're buying wine you know it depends what they're buying but if if they know that this wine which they really like that a bit of it's going somewhere good then that's great yeah yeah awesome well thanks thanks uh very much for that that's great we're gonna um chat to lucy shaw now but uh thank you very much for coming on will and we'll uh, chat soon about uh probably about Vine in, uh, in sort of September and how it's all going. Um, today, we've got a really special guest, uh, Lucy Shaw, who is the editor from The Drinks Business. Lucy, say hi to all our listeners and viewers. Hello, Chatting Winers. <laughs> chatting Winers, that should be our, uh, our fan group now, like that. <laughs> or Chatting Winos. Chatting Winos, yeah. <laughs> Why has Rosé sort of taken off in this sort of fashion lifestyle brand? Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I think um, it's had this incredible evolution, maybe even a revolution in the last few years. Uh, I think one thing is winemakers taking it a lot more seriously, putting a lot more care and love and attention into it, not making it just as a byproduct anymore. You know, there are specific plots just for rosé. You know, it's, it's quite an expensive wine to make. You need quite a lot of special equipment, so people are investing in it. I think, um, you know, you're seeing a move away from the sweeter styles. You know, it used to be kind of the California sweet styles was mainly what you would find on the supermarket shelves. And now this kind of massive swing towards drier styles, lighter styles, Provence kind of ruling the roost really kind of setting the agenda and I think there's a lot more availability now in the supermarkets you'll find a lot more uh, choice in terms of high quality dry rosés. 
Um, and I think there's this massive fun element. I think it's it's just a really it's 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 all sorts of things at once because it's kind of fun and it's glamorous, but it's sophisticated. But it's also there's no snobbery attached. You can kind of it's guilt free. You can just kind of open it and enjoy it and not have to think too much. But that the, yet the quality is also there. So I think it ticks a lot of the boxes and it's pretty. You know, it looks good on the ground. So I think the, the millennials are going for it for that maybe. Yeah, I think the first thing you mentioned actually, it's got no sort of stigma behind it. I mean, if you go, if you're talking about red, or, let's talk about red wine. If you took Burgundy or yeah. Bordeaux or Chianti or something, it's got this history behind it. It's got this maybe snobbiness and such complexity yep. to it. But actually, rosé, uh, without any disrespect to rosé, it's a bit more simple. Um, it's a bit more straightforward. Mm. You kind of got two or three, well, four or five styles maybe um, compared to the reds that have hundreds of sort of different yeah. intricacies to it. Whereas rosé, actually, if I'm being honest as well bad rosé in the sun in south of france or even at home it, it, it's going to be drunk right so it's just got this thing of just being able to <laughs> quaff quite easily but um the dry the dry styles being um being preferred more yeah i think the word stigma is interesting so i think there was a stigma around rosé it used to be kind of seen as just this just for the summer just for women you know female only and now it's it's really changed i think it's it's obviously spikes in the summer people want it most when the sun shines but you know there's a second dip a lot of retailers have said around christmas it sells really really well all year and uh, i think you might get onto it later but men the brose phenomenon men are really getting into it too um <clears throat> jeremy clarkson of all people i mean the most macho kind of brutish petrol head <laughs> loves rosé and he loves it unashamedly and he talks about it. he kind of he's a, he's come out as a unashamed rosé fan and i think that's brilliant i think that's a great way to show that real men drink pink yeah you'll, you'll see them <laughs> drink a sort of a heavy ale and then a, and then a glass of rosé so <laughs> yeah, exactly bizarre. pint of guinness and then a, and then a glass yeah, of rosé yeah, out of, out of a Why not rare steak and rosé um but it's funny how that, that role has has sort of reversed a little bit from a pink delicate wine thinking it's quite feminine and girly to actually yeah. now everyone's getting amongst it and you see it a lot. it's quite a big skiing drink i know so when people go skiing they buy sort of magnums of rosé um I, maybe it's just it's quite it's easier to drink um i, I don't know i think maybe it's just tasty I as think well it's as well the out there. lifestyle as well yeah. i think it's just got this glamorous associations with the south of france with sunshine with with a beach, with swimming pools, just especially now, you know, we can't travel at all. So buying a bottle of rosé, you know, you're almost like it's a ticket of passport into a, a little snapshot into that lifestyle that we really wish we could be leading right now. So yeah, it's it's escapism, and I think you know, literature, film, any way in in a positive way that we can escape right now, I think is is a great thing. So and especially yeah, it's now, it's proved to be lockdown. one of lockdown's favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think especially yeah. that uh, we're recording this on the 10th of June now. I think it was the end of. Um, May or mid May and mid May was boiling hot for that three week period. Yeah, yeah, we've had some amazing. It's weather. been awesome, and and um, people me sitting outside and kind of it's it's eased lockdown probably quite a lot because you were, you could go outside with whoever you're living with your girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, parents, whatever, and and have a, a few glass of rosé and feel like you're you're away, you're on a holiday, and you're right that escape escapism is spot on. Why is it that the dry rosé has sort of overtaken the sweet rosé? I mean, you talked about white Zinfandel, mm. um, you have sort of blush. Um, yeah. Usually, I, I, people say they like dry wine, but actually they like a, a little bit of sweetness to it. Whereas rosé, people are really yeah. going for the light, light colour, which is quite right, I think. Um, so why have they yeah. sort of moved away from the sweetness to the dry, dry style? 
Um, I think there's just this kind of acknowledgement that the drier styles are kind of considered more high quality, probably more sophisticated. Um, Colour definitely isn't always an indicator of quality, but I think consumers who don't know a lot about wine do feel confident to say, I like a pale rosé or the paler the better, because in their minds that means quality. Like the lighter a rosé is, they they presume it's going to be higher quality. Not always the case, right. but um, we just did a recent rosé master's tasting. I think there's about 200. Um, and Patrick, our master of wine on our team, said the colour, you know, it's almost probably 95% were, were in that very pale spectrum and some getting so pale they're almost white wine. So I think it can be a bit confusing, rosé, because there's just so much going on in the category in terms of, yeah. of sweetness in terms of oak in terms of style so you don't always know what you're going to get and it's hard i suppose going into a say a big supermarket or wine merchant and you're looking at all these roses provence roses and how do you, you don't know the quality um yeah can you sort of i mean yeah i mean i think if it says van de provence there is a certain expectation and level of quality that that should hopefully be be being hit and again with our rosé masters i think the quality across the board is higher than ever and wineries around the world are seeing how well provence is doing they want they want a slice of that action yeah. a bit of the pie and they're they're doing the same they're making dry pale high quality rosés too are there any countries in particular or areas that you you see um good quality rosés coming from Mm. Well, I think obviously Provence is, is the main place, but I think uh, the Languedoc is definitely kind of the little pretender coming up from behind. It's uh, it's still the engine room. It still makes a lot, but vast volume, but you're seeing high-end roses coming out of the Languedoc, which is exciting. Mm. I think uh, Tuscany, the Maremma, the coast there, Greece, some lovely roses, um, place like Sicily, Etna. Uh, Italy is, is definitely... Um, producing a lot and there's almost this counter little surgence going on with um hipsters liking darker roses almost as right. it, almost in rebellion yeah. against all the pale <laughs> revolution so but not sweet so it's dark but savory almost like um an orange wine with more skin contact so i think we're going to conversely now start seeing some very small scale kind of um artisanal uh dark roses on the market mm. for for the hipsters which is what they actually the drink is uh and listeners need to know that the colour from the rosé comes from the skin contact. I mean, all rosé, 99% rosé, comes from red grapes. So I think there yeah. was a place in Spain where you could use white grapes and add colour. It. It was, it was yeah, I think they in France they use a bit of roll, don't yeah. they, Vermentino, for, for a bit of like a citrus hit. Yeah, but I mean, on the whole, small the, the, the colour comes from the skin, so the sweetness is slightly different, but it's a very good indicator, um, so, so it does help. Um and price range, where should we be sort of shopping for these these rosés? Are we looking at sort of £6 mm. or £20 or somewhere in the middle? I mean, I think there's there's things to suit all budgets. I would say, really encouragingly, people are seemingly happy now to spend £20 upwards. There used to be a bit of a price ceiling with rosé, like, you know, the, the idea of spending more than 20 was was foreign and kind of just a really not, not kind of embraced at all. And now it's different. Actually, you're seeing... Uh, the the guy that I held up, um, Gerard Bertrand, this isn't the one, but he last year um, released a rosé called Claude de Temple, which is £200. So by far and away the most expensive rosé. Some might yeah. say that was audacious pricing, but you know, it? it comes from this eight-hectare he he eight biodynamically farmed limestone and schist clos. So he's calling it his Grand Cru. Right. And I think it's lovely. He's a big he's a big champion, and he's really raising the game and and pro producing rosés for all sorts of occasions. So, 
Yeah, I mean, whatever you're willing to pay, but obviously with anything in wine, if you pay a little bit more, you'll get a lot more yeah, in quality. Yeah, quite right. Um, and talking about the famous roses out there, I mean, what people always tell me, they always can talk about Whispering Angel. That's sort of the, uh, mm. the standard, at what well, seems to be for the layman of um, top-end rosé. Um, mm. I haven't drunk a huge amount of it, really, if I'm being honest. Is there... Well, I mean, they, they have a... Whispering Angel is, is I think, the first of their the Chateau d'Esclan. And the, the top wine is Garus, which is oak-aged. It spends a bit of time in oak. And for a long time, that was the apogee, the apex of rosé, and it was about 80 quid. Um, and then Gerard Bertrand went and did the Clos de Tempe, so it was kind of get, trying to get one-upmanship up, one on Sacha Lachine. But um, Desclan was recently bought by LVMH, a 55% stake, which I think is really exciting and interesting, showing that these big kind of powerhouses in drinks thinking we need a Provence estate we need a rosé in our portfolio a high in rosé so. and are you tipping um you tipping for this sort of celebrity trend to keep going the lifestyle trend and people investing more in rosé can you see um the rosé market it's interesting in 10 years time isn't it yeah like this? more 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 well you, we do wonder and I think last year it was gin and CBD it was almost yeah. every day there was a new gin or a new CBD drink this year it seems to be kind of or tequila maybe a bit last year but tequila or mezcal or Provence Rose, they seem to be the celebrity favourites at the moment. Um, I think there's always a tipping point. There will always, there will be a peak. Uh, I don't think we've quite reached it yet. I think it's we're almost at the, the surge and kind of coming towards the top of the peak at the moment. But yeah, I think this is definitely gonna. There's going to be more. You wait and see though. I don't know who will be next, but um, yeah, more to come. <laughs> 